0: Hello, and thanks so much for tuning into the Digging Deeper podcast with Pastor Ken Vance. This podcast is designed to go a step beyond the Sunday teaching with a more in-depth look at the topic Pastor Ken shared with us this past weekend. So whether you're on your way home from work or pouring yourself a fresh cup of coffee, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss the next episode. And now, here's Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken Vance. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. I'm Pastor Ken, the senior pastor at Vertical Church, and this is our weekly podcast, Digging Deeper with Pastor Ken. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in and to be a part of these discussions. They're designed to help you go further, they go deeper into the things of God, to establish you in your faith. And so I'm excited because this month we're talking about the unseen. We began a discussion last week, and it's important to know because the unseen world is real. We live in a culture today that many are, doubt its existence. Many are confused about it. There's craziness associated with it. But as believers, we need to be aware of it because to believe the Bible, it requires a supernatural worldview. And it's important to know because the unseen world seeks to influence the seen world. And the more we know, the more we can yield to the right influences and resist the wrong. Because the unseen world seeks to influence the world for good, because, they're, because God is a spirit. God created spiritual beings, and the Holy Spirit and angels seek to influence our world for good. But at the same time, there are evil spirits. There are dark forces that seek to influence our, influence our world for evil. And the head of those dark forces is Satan. And his evil spirits, also known as demons, attempt to influence our world for evil and for destruction. And so today, we're going to take up the topic of exposing darkness. We're going to look at the existence of Satan. Because many in today's world, in fact, George Barna in his statistics a number of years ago, uncovered this reality that among the Christian community, and Christians make up about one-third of the population of the United States, but among that one-third, the belief systems of such, 75% of Christians do not believe that there is a devil, that it's simply a symbol for evil. But no, Satan is a real entity. He is a spiritual being Jesus affirmed this, because when Jesus was speaking with his disciples in Luke 10, 18, it's recorded, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. In fact, in the Gospels, there are 29 references to Satan as a person, and 25 of them are made by Jesus himself. So let's talk about Satan for uh, a few minutes today. Actually, Today's podcast really is about exposing darkness, and we're going to deal primarily with the chief of darkness, the one who leads that whole rebellion of evil spirits. And so let's talk about Satan's nature. First of all, we need to realize he is a created being. He's not like God. God has no beginning and no end. God is alone, eternal. But God created all things, invisible and visible. And so it's important to understand that Satan is not like God in that he is a created being. He is a spirit being. God created spirit beings before he created the natural world that we live in, the material world. Because it tells us in uh, Job's uh, uh, writings that the book of Job, when God confronted Job about his ignorance and asked him where he was when he laid the foundations of the earth, God said that the, that the sons of God, the angels, celebrated, they rejoiced when God laid the foundations of the earth. So we know that the spiritual beings preceded the physical world that we live in. And that's important to realize. The spiritual world is real because it created the natural material world we live in. Satan is an angel that before his fall was in the cherubim class of angels. We know this, that he was first in rank among created beings before his fall. But let's talk about his names, because names, especially from the Bible, give us understanding of character. They, they're descriptive. The Bible, many times, names were associated with, speci- with, with specific things, like Joseph was instructed to give Jesus his name, because God said, that he would save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior, that he came to save us from our sins. And so names are significant in the Bible. So before Satan's fall, he had the name Lucifer, which means bright and morning star. He was also the name, the anointed cherub who covers. But after his fall, his nature was corrupted. The first name he's given is Satan, which means the opposer. Literally in Hebrew, many times it's translated the Satan because it meant the opposer. He opposes the plans of God. He's against the will of God. And so he's called the opposer, but eventually that became a title. And most his chief title, uh, Satan. He's also called the devil, which means a slanderer, one who uh, 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 degrades other things. He's, he's referred to as the serpent of old. He's referred to as the great dragon. He has the name, the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2 it tells us. He's also called in the New Testament, the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The word world there comes from the Greek word cosmos and cosmos deals with a system, and so there is a system in this world. It, it refers to the system that is in rebellion against God. And that's why Jesus came to save the world. It tells us in the book of Revelations that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Jesus came into the world to save those who were in the world out of the world and bring them into the kingdom of God. Satan is referred to as the ruler of demons in Luke 11:15. He's called the evil one in John 17:15. He's called the destroyer in Revelations 9:11, and that's why Jesus said, "The thief came but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it to the full." Satan's role; his names refer to the things that he actually does. He's the tempter in. Mark 4, 3. He is the accuser of the brethren, found in Revelations 12, 10. He is a liar and the father of lies, Jesus said in John 8, 44. He's a deceiver who deceives all of the nations, Revelations 12 tells us. He's the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, 2 says. And that's so important because Satan works through humankind's rebellion against God. When we disobey, when we know what to do but choose not to do so, it is how Satan works and operates in and through human lives. But let's talk further about it and let's, let's deal with the origin of Satan's fall. You know, his origin, how his beginning was and how he fell from the place that he was once created to inhabit and to hold. We're going to look at two passages of scripture. The first is found in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28. And what's important when we begin to see the Bible with a supernatural worldview, we recognize the Bible tells the story of two rebellions. We know most uh, uh, commonly the human rebellion, which started in the Garden of Eden. God had a purpose and a plan for humankind. God intended that humans would rule the world in the love and power of God, that humankind was created in the image of God. In other words, image bearers were those that were created to be like God and carry out the duties, mission, plan, and purpose of God. And God made the material world and designed that human beings would be the ones that would rule over it. But part of the spiritual rebellion was against the plan of God that there were spiritual beings that did not want God's plan to come to pass. In fact, the New Testament gives us an insight to this because the Bible tells us that mankind in his redeemed state, mankind in the, in the purpose and in the state that which God designed and created man to be in, would rule over angels. Well, obviously, some of those spiritual beings did not want to be ruled over by humankind and rebelled against the plan Of God, see Jesus came to restore human beings. Jesus came to restore the plan and purpose of God, and that's why the Book of Revelations tells us that God's ultimate plan is fulfilled. That human beings, once redeemed, once set apart into the original design and purpose, would rule the world in the love and power of God, and so. It's important we see that because when you read the New Testament, or when you read the Bible, I should say, you find that this dual rebellion is at work in the societies that we live in because there is two kingdoms that many times rulers over areas. And we get an insight into this in the book of Daniel. When Daniel was praying and setting his face before God, the Bible said that he had read in the book of Jeremiah that the captivity of the nation of Israel was to be for 70 years. And so he set himself to seek the Lord. And for three weeks, he fasted. And in that time of fasting, he, he was praying about specifically the plan of God coming to pass And yet, after three weeks, the angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 and told him at the moment that he set his face to seek the Lord, at the moment that he began to pray, that God had dispatched Gabriel with a message for Daniel regarding his prayer. But he had been uh, um, held back. There was resistance. And we see into the spirit world, we see into that unseen world that there was what the Bible referred to as the prince of Persia resisted uh, uh, um, Gabriel bringing that message to Daniel. And then eventually Michael, who is referred to in the scriptures in the New Testament as an archangel, he is a chief among angels. He is a warrior angel who oversees the armies of God, the, the, the angel armies, and Michael came to his aid so that Gabriel could get through that, that demonic resistance and bring the message to Daniel. You know, there's encouragement that we need to gain from that, that when we pray, God hears us, God responds to us, and just because we can't see things around us doesn't mean that God is not working on our behalf. But many times that resistance can discourage us and we need to retain our faith. We need to stay confident that God is who he said he is, that God will do all that he said he will do. And it's important that you and I see and understand and know that because otherwise we might give up. Otherwise we might give in and allow the enemy to steal something from us that God intended for our lives. And that's so important to see. But in this dual uh, uh, kingdom reality, that there are rulers over kingdoms who are empowered or inspired by the unseen world, the evil forces seeking to work through them. And so in Ezekiel 28, it says in verse 1, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Taurus, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit on the seat of God in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man and not God, though you set thine heart as the heart of God. Now here the Bible is referring to this prince specifically as a man. Now he had been filled with pride and saw himself as a God. And if you know anything about ancient cultures, many of the kings or uh, leaders of lands like the Egyptians, um, the pharaohs considered themselves to be a god. They were uh, part of Ra. And so in essence, they had this, this uh, idea that they were divinity. And there are many that in ancient cultures believed that the king represented a god. And here, this particular one that the Lord is giving the prophet Ezekiel the responsibility to to speak against, to take up this lament against. He's talking about a man. But then, when you get down further to verse 11, a shift occurs. And the Lord says here in verse 11 of Ezekiel 28, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation against the king. Now notice the, the, uh, the role changes. We're not talking any longer to the prince of Tyre. We're now talking to the king of Tyrus. And say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. For thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So obviously, it can no longer be talking about a man, because mankind had been prohibited from going back into the Garden of Eden after they sinned. In fact, God placed two cherubim with flaming swords, you know, guarding the way to the tree of life. So mankind was expelled from the Garden of Eden when sin occurred. But here he's talking to this king, and he says, Thou art the sum of full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the Garden of God, and every precious stone was thy covering the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper and sapphire and emerald and carbuncle and gold and the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Now he's talking about a created being. Studying the scriptures, we recognize that this is the, the state of Satan before his fall. This is when Lucifer was created. And here, notice his beauty. He was the sum of wisdom and perfection, perfect in beauty. This was, a, this was an, uh, an angelic being that was just absolutely magnificent, the highest of all of God's creation. Interesting, a note here. It said, the workmanship of thy tablets and thy pipes. It refers to Satan having some aspect of musical capabilities probably one of the main reasons why the influence of music is so predominant in our world. And it can be for good, but it can also be for evil. Because we know that good, in the eyes of worship, worship brings the presence of the Almighty. But aberrant worship, you know, aberrant music, music that's evil, can bring the presence of of darkness and can can inspire people to do evil things as well. But he goes on to say in verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covers. So we see and understand here that Satan in his original uh, uh, um, created being was the anointed cherub. Again, Lucifer. And he says, and I have set thee so, and thou was upon the holy mountain of God, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created. Now notice here's the turn, till iniquity was found in you. In other words, till he sinned, he was perfect. He was the top of all of God's creative order. He said, by the multitude of thy merchandise thou hast filled thine, that is filled the midst of thee with violence, thou hast sinned. Therefore, I would cast thee out as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, and thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And I will cast thee to the ground, and I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. And thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities and by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and I will destroy thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. So in essence, what we see and what we get an insight here is to the origin and the fall of Satan. Now, let's take a look at the privileges that he had before he fell. Number one, his nature. He was, again, part of the cherub class, probably the highest order of all angels. He was anointed, which means he was appointed as a leader by God. He was special. He was set apart in that way. He was the greatest of all creation because it uses these terms, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was the greatest of all of God's created order. He held the position. The second privilege he held was position. Not only was the anointed he the anointed leader, but twice he's called the guardian, the one who covered, the one guardian Uh, cherubs were guardian angels. They were to protect the presence of God, the essence of God's glory. That's why two cherubs were placed in guardianship over the tree of life, uh, to not allow human beings access to that point. Cherubs are guardians. They protect God's glorious presence and his holiness. And so we see in essence that he had the position of a guardian. Number three, his privilege was his habitation. He was in Eden, the garden of God. He had a part in the mountain of God. He dwelt in that place of paradise. Satan, that was what he was cast out from. He was cast out of the mountain of God. He was cast out from the presence of God. Because at one time, he walked among the, amidst the stones of fire. In other words, he walked in the presence of, great, of the great God, Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord God Almighty. He was the chief of God's creation. He was responsible to guard the glory and majesty and holiness of God. And he had a habitation to dwell with God in the highest of God's order. And lastly, his privilege, he was perfection. Personal, moral qualities. He was blameless until sin was found in him. And so what caused Satan's fall? Well, verse 17 tells us, it says that his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. He allowed his wisdom to become corrupted by reason of his brightness. In other words, pride took hold of him. He became obsessed with his beauty, and he became uh, uh, blinded to the one who gave him said beauty. You see, he became self-obsessed. You wonder why we live in a culture that's so self-obsessed. Why we live in a culture of selfies and all about self? Because at the root of sin is selfishness. Self-absorption is so much a part of our culture because why? The corruption of our world, the influences of the dark, unseen world, attempt to do what Satan did to himself, to become obsessed with themselves. Do you ever wonder why we live in a culture that so magnifies beauty and wisdom? Because that's what Satan was obsessed with in himself. He forgot where the source of that came from. He was a created being. It was God who gave him his beauty. It was God who made him wise. But see, he lost sight of God and his, and his eyes became on himself. He became self-absorbed. He was enthralled with himself and turned away from God, the one who had given it to him. And he became exalted in his own thinking. He became a legend in his own mind. And so much we see that in our world. And look at verse 18. It also says this, that he defiled the sanctuaries by the multitude of his iniquities and the iniquity of thy traffic. See, he became filled with violence and he became corrupted in the way he saw things. He perverted the things of God And by it, he caused others to be subdued, uh, to be uh, 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 seduced into following him. And so in essence, what we discover in the Bible is that Satan was able through his crafty ways, because when we're first introduced to him in Genesis 3, it said he was more subtle than any other created being. It was in some translations say he was more crafty because he perverted and twisted the wisdom of God. And what's amazing is that in a state of perfection, he was able through his corruption to to seduce one third of the angels of God to follow him in his rebellion. And so what was the indictment and his punishment? Verse 16 tells us, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled thee with violence, you have sinned, therefore, this is God's judgment. Therefore, I have cast you out as profane, out of the mountain of God. That's what Jesus was referring to when he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so in essence, Satan was cast out from the presence of God. And The Bible tells us, he goes on to say, I will cast you to the ground and lay thee before kings. He was placed into a place of, in his rebellion, he was banished from the presence of God. And then the scriptures tell us that God created a holding place for him. Well, what is known in the scriptures as hell, Jesus gives us the understanding that it was not created for humankind. In Matthew 25, 41, he said, hell was created for the devil and his angels. All of those rebel spirits, God created a holding place That's what prisons do. They attempt to uh, deter evil agents from doing evil. And so ultimately, God will imprison Satan once and for all. But for right now, the first judgment was to cast him out from the presence of God. We're going to get a second insight into that. The prophet Isaiah. Again, in this dual kingdom realization, God gives the prophet Isaiah the responsibility to speak. And it's one of those dual opportunities again, because in Isaiah 14, the Lord had a word and it wasn't the king of Babylon that God was having the prophet speak. And so we see in verse 12 of Isaiah 14, we get this understanding because earlier, the the, the the prophet had been speaking specifically, verse four, it begins, he says, take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say to him, how thou hast oppressed the golden city, ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of rulers. So he has this message that he gives to the king of Babylon. But then all of a sudden in verse 11, we see that it, it, it shifts over. And so by verse 12, we see, God speaking to the authority, to the one behind this physical king, to this earthly king, to this man, the demonic spirit that is uh, uh, animating his actions, who's influencing his decisions, who's behind his power and authority as the ruler of Babylon. And we see this spirit in verse 12, it says, Thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The term stars of God is an Old Testament reference to the angels. They're referred to that way by ancients because in thinking about things that were nothing like them, because spiritual beings are not like physical beings in the sense that they're of a different origin or category. So the ancients would look up to and see the stars, which are bright and shiny, and they were a way of referring to beings of uh, of another order. And so here it says, you have set my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? So in essence, we see this duel because the name of Satan prior to his fall was Lucifer. This is where we discover this end. That in this, Satan was behind the king of Babylon's action. He was that demonic spirit that was working in this end because over the kingdoms, the gods that they worship represented the fallen beings who empowered those kingdoms to do the evil that they did. And in this particular case, and significant so because Babylon is a continual reference throughout the scripture of this ultimate rebellion against God. It resulted in uh, Genesis 11 with the creation of the city of Babylon that created a tower to try to say that they no longer needed God, that they were unified and could do whatever they wanted, they did not need. It, it was the ultimate human rebellion, but it was driven by the demonic forces that attempted to build a world in a culture that absolutely excluded God. But we see this this source of Babylon being this influence throughout scripture, Culminating in the book of Revelation, that it's kind of this unseen cosmos. The world that we live in is influenced by this Babylonian ideal, this, this rebellious condition, this spiritual rebellion against the Most High God. And so Satan here, we notice, is, is, is animating and is a part of this king's rebellion. And it culminates in five I wills. He says, I will ascend into the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. Insight that we gain in this is that Satan had a throne. God had given him a throne. But he wanted the throne of superiority over all of the other angels. Now, we already read in Ezekiel's prophecy that Satan was over the angels at that point. But in this way, he was wanting to displace God, he was trying to take God's position. He wanted to be over it. He said, I will sit enthroned among the mount of the assembly. You see, in the order of God, God had, uh, he has a divine counsel. Certain of these spiritual beings were, he works together with to rule over the things that he created. Why? Because God is love. God doesn't need others to help him rule. God chooses that because God is love and wants to share with his created beings the ability for them to work together with him. And we see this, there's an insight in scripture that God has a divine counsel. He has spiritual beings that he works in unity with. And this is a reference here where Satan wanted to be over it. He was, again, this is trying to displace God in his ultimate rebellion. He said, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Again, a reference here to over all of the things that God created. And he said, and I will be like the most high. The ultimate rebellion is he wanted to be in God's position and place. It wasn't enough for him to be un- just under God. He wanted to displace God, to be like God. And so what did God do? His, We see this, that God's judgment was that he was brought down. He was brought down to the pit. In other words, hell was designed for Satan and his rebellious spirits what was his sin we see so clearly here it was pride and that's why first timothy three sixteen. when paul was telling timothy about establishing leadership in the church not to put a novice not to put someone who wasn't mature into a place of authority why because they being puffed up but they becoming conceited could fall from that position just as satan had 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 done and so we're most susceptible when we allow pride to influence us but I want to get ahead of myself so we see that Satan's fall was because of pride and what were the results of his sin he was banished from heaven it corrupted his character he was changed it perverted his power now what he once used for good his perverted power now was used for evil Satan, though in his fallen state, retained a level of dignity, because we see this when Satan and Michael the archangel were disputing over the body of Moses that Jude tells us about. That Michael did not bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said to him, "The Lord rebuke thee." In other words, because of the position he once held, even the angel still grant him a level of dignity even though he is a fallen being. And then he's destined to the pit. He was thrust down into hell and he is awaiting his final sentence, which Revelation gives us the understanding of is that he will be cast into the lake of fire. And so when was the time of Satan's fall? When did he rebel? Well, that's one thing that scripture is actually not so much clear about. We don't know, was it entirely before? Uh, uh, his temptation of of Adam and Eve in the garden. All we know is this, that Satan rebelled and he took one third of the the, uh, angels of heaven with him in his rebellion. And so Satan is the head of those. That's why Jesus refers to Satan and his angels. And so Satan was able to seduce others to follow him because of his perverted wisdom. It's the same way that he fools and deceives human beings. And that's the way his forces work. And so let's talk about Satan's power and his authority. His name, again, means the opposer of God. He opposes the will of God. He opposes the ways of God. But Satan is not a creator. In other words, he takes what God has created and he seeks to pervert it, to use it against it. It's like words. Words can have the power of life or death. That's why uh, Proverbs gives us that understanding that life and death is in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, Satan, we know in James chapter 3, attempts to use human words to set fires, to create calamity and, and problems. And think about how many problems have been ignited because of our inability to hold our words, our inability to control our tongues. But that's just one area that Satan works through. And so Satan, his primary way is to counterfeit the things of God. He creates counterfeit religion, which is against God. It attempts that man can can save himself. No, scripture is clear. Man cannot save himself. That's why he desperately needs God. But the realization that God loves us and sent his son to save us, that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saves us with the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, it tells us in Titus. But Satan's counterfeit religions constantly attempt to make man exalted in his own eyes and make man worthy by his deeds and actions. He also counterfeits uh, authority. In other words, the way that Evil authorities work as they attempt to control people through fear, which in the kingdom of God, God works through love. Why? Because God is love. God desires that human beings would love him and follow him because they choose to. That's how God operates. And so Satan seeks to gain control in areas. And so where does he work? His primary works are in the nations, in governments, and in the nations. Why? Because they control people. So let's talk a little bit further about it to make this more personal for you and I. Because the way that Satan operates, his chief tools, the number one tool that that Satan uses is deception, which is why Jesus referred to the devil as a liar and the father of lies. Deception is twisted, perverted things that take truth and make it a falsehood. And the problem with deception is that it's deceiving. In other words, when people are deceived, they are unaware of being deceived because if they were aware of it, they would not be deceived. And that's why it's so twisted and perverse. Satan works to deceive the nations. That's what Revelations 12 tells us. He deceives us into not trusting in God. He deceives us into thinking that God doesn't love us. In fact, that's why 2 Corinthians two eleven tells us that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. The word devices literally means mind games. It comes from the, the, the root word mind. In other words, Satan's primary place that he works is in the thought realm. That's how he gains suggestions. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. Satan works in deceptive ways to pervert and to twist truth, to encapsulate or captive, uh, uh, capture man and hold him in a place of falsehood. You see, Satan must work in the ways that God designed because all human beings were given a free will. God will not violate human will. God always gives choice to mankind. That was represented in the Garden of Eden. Because God is love, love doesn't force its will on another. God allows us to choose. Why? Because you can't know love without choice. And so in essence, because of the free will of man, Satan has to work within that realm. That's how God operates and works. That's why the importance of preaching the gospel, because only a human being can agree to follow God. Only a human being can submit to and allow God to work in and through their lives. God doesn't violate human will. And so Satan himself is bound by the same system because Satan cannot do whatever he wants to do, which is why he tempts human beings. He tempts us because only when we volunteer, only when of our own free will we choose to rebel, that he can work through that to cause evil and destruction. And so temptation is how he works. And in his temptations, what we must discover and understand is that he seeks to exploit our own desires, sometimes referred to in scripture as our lusts. That's why James wrote and says, when one person is tempted, never let them say they are tempted of God. For God never tempts human beings with evil. But everyone, he goes on to say this, every... One of us is tempted of our own evil desires and they lead us to sin, which leads to death. In other words, how does Satan cause such corruption in the world is when human beings give in to those desires, to those uh, 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 base uh, uh, things that the enemy seeks to exploit. See, sin is a choice. And sin, many times, is a choice to gain a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. In other words, God created things for good. But when we don't want things God's will, God's way, we can violate our conscience. We can violate what we know to be good. And that's what sin is. Sin is ultimately a choice when you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you choose to do what's wrong anyway. And why do we do such? because the deceiver gives us ways to justify why it's okay for me to do it ways of thinking that create a prison for us because that's what temptation seeks to do influence our thought realm influence the way we think because how we think will determine how we act what we believe determines how we behave and when we believe lies we behave we believe in way, we act in ways that are contrary to the truth and they create harm and problems for us. And so that's why it's important to know. That's why it's important to understand. But Satan, when we, are, when we are subjected to temptation, one thing that he does is he watches for us the things that we tend to be yielded to, the things that we tend to uh, 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 go after because it's all different with different people. You know, people are tempted in different ways and where someone may be strong in one area, they may be weak in another and somebody else may be in an area where someone else is weak, strong, but weak in another area then. But so Satan works to exploit our own desires. That's why we need to know the things we're weak in and be honest about them. We need to be able to put barriers up. We need to put protections in place. That's why we need others in our lives. Because the other area that Satan works in, he works in darkness. That's why today is about exposing darkness. Because darkness is things that are not seen. Darkness represents things that are many times unknown. And one of those big areas that Satan works in is with secrets. When we hold things inside things that bind us, things that we're afraid because why? The enemy also works through shame and disgrace. And there are times when we fail. Or there's times when we fall. There are times when we do something and violate our conscience and do something we know is wrong, but then we hide that. And But the more we hide it, the more we hold on to secrets. Secrets are destructive. Secrets are corruptive. Secrets hold us bound. Secrets are things that keep us slaved to things that we would otherwise want to be free from but we don't sometimes bring them to light because once something's brought to light things that were in the dark lose their power why because light dispels darkness that's why god wants us not to hide because sin as soon as sin happened to human beings the very first human response to sin was to hide was to cover up was to put away And then sin caused fractured relationships and the hiding of oneself with another. And so therefore, when we're in that place of darkness, there's a place of control that the enemy has. That's why Satan hates authentic community. That's why Satan doesn't want us to be in a place where we have a place to open up. He hates love because love seeks the best for others. Love doesn't condemn. Love doesn't judge and alienate. Love seeks to heal. Love seeks to help. Love seeks to make right and good. And in authentic community, that's why Christian community is something you have to fight for. Because when we're willing to open up the, the powers of darkness that once held us slave to things that we are otherwise ashamed of, lose their control. We can find freedom because it's in those places where deception rules that we are controlled. And one of the ways that Satan deceives us, God is love. But the enemy will come along and deceive us and say, God doesn't love you. And why? Because we sinned. Because we did wrong. But you see, Jesus taught us that Satan is a liar. God demonstrated his love for us. When? When we were yet sinners. That's when Christ died for us. And so Satan seeks to steal and destroy and corrupt in the world through deception, through lies, to holding people in darkness. One other thing I want to highlight today as well, Satan seeks, one of his chief operations is to steal and disturb God's word. That's why Jesus, his chief parable of all, in Mark chapter four, he said, the sower sows the word. When his disciples had asked him regarding interpretation of the parable, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any of them? In other words, this is the chief way the kingdom of God operates. And it is this, that God works through his word. That's why Isaiah said, God's thoughts are above our thoughts. God's ways are above our ways. But as the snow and the rain come down from heaven and water the earth and make it to, make, to bring forth and bud to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but it'll accomplish that which I please and prosper in the thing I send it to do. And so God sends his word and his word is the means that God makes change in our life. How are we born again? Not by corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word is how God operates. It's how the power of his kingdom brings about change, brings about a a, a victory over areas of life. The word of God, is how God works and operates. It's how he heals. It's how he saves. It's how he brings transformation. That's why Romans 12 tells us that a transformed lives is when our mind is renewed by the word of God. So in essence, God's word has the power to change us. It has the power to make us like Christ. Why? Because Jesus was the word Made flesh the more we know god's word and allow it to shape and fashion our life that it controls what we believe it it, it inspires how we act it is the means by which we uh, uh, live it's the wisdom that guides our life it's the lamp for our feet and the light for our path. Satan hates it because he knows that god's word he has no defense against. The Bible tells us in the armor of God that the the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's how Jesus defeated Satan when he was tempted by him. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, Jesus every time tempted said, it is written. God's word when it's in our heart. That's why David said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word has power. And so the enemy attempts to steal it. That's why in in Jesus' parable of the sower, it says, when the, when the word is sown, these are they on the path where the devil comes immediately to steal the word that was sown. And then if he cannot steal it, he attempts to disrupt it from, from gaining maturity in our lives, whether it's rocky soil, where he brings persecution and affliction for the word's sake, Mark's gospel says, or the thorny soil, which represents the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in. The enemy causes disruptions. It's why Satan doesn't want you to be in God's word because the more God's word lives in you, the less he has control over your life and the more God can do what only God uh, is able to do in our lives. See, he works through his word. When we believe it, when we allow it to enter our hearts, when we trust it to be true, and allow it to inspire the way we live, Satan has absolutely no defense against it. That's why he even seeks to deceive believers, because it's not what you hear. It's being a doer of God's word. Self-deception is thinking we know what God's word says just because we've heard it. But if we're not doing it, we are denying its power from working in our lives. And that's another tool and work of the enemy let's let's talk last today as we close out this time of satan's defeat because i love this part of it because satan is not as smart as he attempts to show himself to be when god instituted his plan which was a mystery hidden in god before the creation of the world that now has been revealed in these days that Jesus coming to earth, that God becoming human, that God's plan of victory was ultimately found in a place that no one expected it. And what place was that? The cross. The Bible said that if the, that if the, that if the rulers of this world, and it's talking in this place in 1 Corinthians 2 about the demonic entities that, that were behind the Rome's rule, that were behind the Pharisees' rebellion against Jesus, all of the demonic entities that were behind. I said, had the prince, had the princess of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. Why? Because it was in the cross that God's plan ultimately brought Satan's defeat and destruction. What God had prophesied when He said in Genesis three fifteen that I that your seed, talking to Satan, your seed will be against the seed of the woman, but ultimately the seed of the woman would crush your head and you would bruise his heel. In other words, this one that God had spoken would come from the Garden of Eden. At this onset of human sin and rebellion, God promised a Savior who would come, a perfect human, but more than just a human. God gave an insight to that because he said the seed of a woman. In other words, this was a supernatural birth because why Jesus was God manifested in human form. And so what Jesus came into the world and it says in Hebrews 2 that through death he defeated him who had the power of death, that is the devil, who kept humankind all their life controlled by the fear of death. But Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus fulfilled the plan of God through the cross. The cross also brought about the release of the prisoners. Why? Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 3a that for this reason, the son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. In other words, God's plan was consummated, fulfilled in this truth that God sent his one and only son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem us. His life was given. His perfect sinless life was given so that we could be freed from the power of sin. On the cross, Jesus paid the price for human sin once and for all. And now he led those who were once captive to sin and to Satan. And he made us free because whom the Son sets free. Is free indeed. Jesus routed the powers of evil. I love this in, Ephes- in, in, in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter two, and verse eight says this: "See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive, through uh, uh, hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elements of spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ." But then he goes on and say in verse 16, and I so love this, he says this, therefore, do not let anyone judge you for what you eat and drink with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person who goes into great detail about what they have seen and are puffed up by idle notions, And their unspiritual mind, they have lost the connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by the ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though we are still long to the world, do you submit to its rulers do not handle this do not handle that do not taste that no what the bible here tells us is that jesus freed us from all the things in fact it tells us that all of the all of the charges that were against us all of the handwriting of the ordinances all of the broken uh, commandments of god were nailed to Jesus Christ and Jesus led captivity captive. He made an open show over Satan and his evil forces in his victory over them in the cross. It's in the cross that God ratified forever Satan's fate that humankind has been given the opportunity to be freed from the rebellion of sin and Satan. And become children of the living God. How? By faith in Christ. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish. But find or have everlasting life. We are free to become the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the cross, Paul said, has the power to free us. He said, by the cross of Jesus Christ, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. It's through the victory of the cross that we have become the children of almighty God. When we believe that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the savior of the world, that Jesus is the one who paid for our sins entirely past, present and future. When we put our faith in Christ, we become a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. And that's why it's called good news. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God justifies us freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's why the devil resists it. That's why the devil fights against the gospel, but he has no defense. He can try to deceive mankind in trying to save themselves, but the utter salvation of humankind is when we come to the realization we can't save ourselves and accept the fact that God sent his one and only son into the world to be the savior of the world. And we make the profession of faith that says, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. His victory becomes our victory. We're delivered out of the authority of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son in whom we have redemption by his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. And so... I've just enjoyed this discussion today. I love to expose darkness for what it is because Satan is defeated. Too long, people have been deceived. Too long, people have been ignorant of what Christ has done and what Christ has made available to us, that we, the church of the living God, are the army of God. We are the children of God. We've been raised up and seated together with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every, rule, in every name that is in this world and that which is to come. We have been given the name of Jesus. We have been allowed now through Christ to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. We are children of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what Satan doesn't want us to know. That's, that's what Satan doesn't want us to believe. But when you come to the light... The light exposes the darkness, dispels it, and allows the truth. The Bible says the entrance of God's word giveth light and provides understanding even to the simple. So I hope this conversation today helps you. We went a little longer on this end, but I believe what we covered today is so essential and true. Till next time, I'm Pastor Ken.